2: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that remembers, remembers the 5th of November, Gunpowder, (laughs) Treason and Eggie in a Basket. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are...
3: Sir
0: Patrick. And James Hunt.
2: We'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news, and there's a lot this week, before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of IMDB's 150th greatest movie <laughs> of all time, James McTeague's 2005 movie, V for Vendetta. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain to me something I don't know, and this time I know very little about this uh, character I'm about to ask you about. And it is going to segue seamlessly into our new our new section, guys. Tell me about Monica Rambeau. <laughs>
3: <laughs> this can be a James one then.
0: That would be the second second third Captain Marvel, the second female
3: Captain Marvel. Um, so go go through them no, in no, order. No, no hang no. on, because Carol wasn't Captain Marvel previously, was she?
0: Well, yeah, fair enough.
3: <laughs> so so Monica had okay, the name yeah, Captain yeah, yeah. Marvel before Carol did, so she's the first female Captain Marvel. If you want to get technical Captain
2: about Marvel. it. Yes. Um so so it was Marvel. It was Marvel. Yeah.
0: And then after he died, Monica Rambeau took over as Captain Marvel wearing a black and white version of the costume. Uh I could not tell you the origin off the top of my head. Like she <laughs> she was active in comics during the period where I wasn't reading them and by the time I arrived they'd basically gone well that didn't work and sort of shuffled her into the long grass.
2: Am I right in thinking that she had like an association with the x-men or that she turned up in the x-men titles? I no confused?
0: you're thinking of <clears throat> you're thinking of Carol Danvers who did that.
2: Oh okay I'm probably not <laughs> I'm probably just
3: thinking Ooh. nothing. Joe I can tell you a comic that you've read that's got her in it that you may Ooh. not have remembered. Which <laughs> I was about to say, about to get to next this. wave.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, she oh. is. Who is she, who is she in next wave? She's Captain Marvel in next wave, right?
3: Um, because for, I a, don't while, know, for a while a she was Spectrum, names.
0: but I think she's she also went...
3: been Photon and Pulsar.
0: Yeah, or was she Photon? I think she. I think she was like ironically Captain Marvel in next wave.
3: Um,
0: because you know Warren Ellis can get away with that.
3: Apparently, she didn't actually. This is just according to Wikipedia. She didn't use a code name during Next Wave. Okay, she was just Monica Rambo then, which is probably why I don't recognise any of her other code names because that might be the only comic uh, that I've read much of with her. Yeah, I remember. Was in Mighty (laughs) Avengers the arguing one?
0: I do remember, like the when Gina Sval was Captain Marvel, there was a story where he changed his name to Photon, and so they did a backup strip where she complained that he stole two of her code names. <laughs> and that's when she became Spectrum.
2: So going back to when she was Captain Marvel, James, you said they kind of what, so they just decided it didn't work and kind of shuffled her off and eventually found new uses for it. What why didn't it work with her as Captain Marvel?
4: Um
0: I mean I I don't think she ever had her own comic. Uh, I'm okay so she like sure popping up popping up in would...
2: avengers and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, she was just turning up in the avengers like filling the role of being the current captain marvel. Um, right, okay. But yeah, she wasn't you know, wasn't around for her own her own series and you know, captain marvel wasn't a big deal at the time. It was, you know, basically keeping the trademark warm, put it that way.
2: Fair enough. But and and when would that have been? Uh
0: Uh, throughout the 80s i think she was still captain marvel during the 90s but uh genus Vell took over sort of mid-90s
2: so that's that feels uh, for something that is not made a huge deal of really and like monica rambo is not a very well-known comics character she was a black female superhero back in the 80s who uh, was was captain marvel a Big-ish name back then? Or? Well, this
0: is the thing, because Captain Marvel was never a big-ish name. Like, the original Captain right. Marvel's most notable story was the one where he died.
2: Right. And
0: after that, like I say, keeping the trademark going, but <clears throat> not really uh, pushing the, the concept.
2: It wasn't so really pre, until they... pre-Carol Danvers, what, what kind of... St- if, if you had to, like, take a current Marvel character in terms of, like, their status in the <laughs> Marvel Universe... Where does what would Captain Marvel's equivalent be?
0: Lower than any uh, any Marvel character who's had a film, so lower than Ghost Rider. <laughs> like Ghost yeah, Rider th- was a bigger draw than Captain Marvel by a significant distance.
2: Oh, God. so who are we talking about now then? Who
0: are we talking about now? Um, maybe one of the Vision kids.
2: Wow, really?
0: Yeah, I <laughs> That's mean. Cra- you know there was there was no captain marvel comic the only captain marvel comics that were published between death of captain marvel and the late 90s captain marvel were like flashback ones
2: big, big bigger marvel. or smaller than hercules
0: smaller than hercules
2: wow okay so re- and and was it carol danvers that turned captain marvel as a comics cons- as a comic character into something bigger or it happened before uh, I then? mean,
0: I, I hesitate to describe it in these terms, but this was really a corporate decision where they went, well, we've got the trademark and it's literally Marvel's name. We need a big female superhero to rival Wonder Woman and we haven't really got one. Who fits the bill? And they basically, in fact, Ms. Marvel, as she was called, was about to be yeah. killed off and some someone, possibly Kevin Feige, went, no, 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 don't, don't kill her off. So they actually cancelled her series because she was planned to die in some event. I forget, maybe Siege. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, I can't remember which event it was, but they they basically saved her from being killed off and went, we're going to turn her into our top banner superhero because we're going to do a movie. And that's when they redesigned her, renamed her, relaunched her and had the movie ready to go.
2: But and what made uh, we're, we're probably going to talk around this in a second. But what what do you think is the key to her being a more successful version of the character in the comics? Was it the redesign? Was that one of the key things, or was it, was there a change in the way the character was written? Because I mean, it does feel like there is there is buzz for Carol Danvers as Captain
4: Marvel.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think Kelly Sue version of the character. Definitely kind of lit a fire under um, under the idea of Captain Marvel as, as, you know, Marvel's big female superhero. Yeah. Uh, but, it you know, it was a group effort in that this was something they decided to push and they went for it. It's a bit like the Inhumans, only this worked.
2: Right. Okay. Um, guys, shall we segue into the news?
3: <laughs> Why could you possibly have been mentioning... Monica Rambeau.
2: So, uh, Brie Larson and EW uh, decided they were going to break the internet this week. I'm not sure they quite did that.
0: They barely dented it.
2: <laughs> but I think from a from a hey, we've got a nerdy podcast that talks about MCU things a lot. <laughs> loads of details that I was intrigued by. Um, so let's start off by uh, talking about the kind of the main cover image of. Can Brie we, Larson in the costume.
3: Can we actually start off by talking about how this stuff got released? Because it was really funny to watch, which was that uh Brie Larson and Entertainment Weekly's Twitter accounts had a little prearranged back and forth about mm-hmm. breaking the internet tomorrow. This cover duly arrived the next day, and the internet went Yeah, okay, nice picture. It <laughs> confirms went... we that we, we were are... getting a trailer. <laughs> Yeah, but it like, you know, all that that picture did was to, you know, it was a photoshopped image as well because it's a cover image. (laughs) It confirmed that the costume is the green and white costume that we'd already seen in the Captain Marvel colours. It looked great, but it was like. You know, there there was definitely... A, and, you know, having been on the other side of the fence, um, I, I'm i not saying I fully sympathise with the entitlement of internet fans, but when you've led up to an, to something like that and it's just that one photo, it's easy to see why everyone was a bit, oh, this is a bit flat. And then in about half an hour, all of a sudden, like, ten more pictures showed up on Entertainment Weekly's site that were obviously going to be released at a later point, but somebody had to hurriedly uh, push them out there.
2: I don't uh, know... I I don't think so. I think this this mirrors what Entertainment Weekly do for all of their superhero stuff which what, is what
3: update the story with new images after it's been published initially.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because they, they kind of go... Half an hour the... after it's been published. Initially. I mean, I I don't know exactly, but all of <laughs> all of this stuff would have been online before Friday when oh, the yeah, physical... Oh, yeah, before
3: Friday, but yeah. not half an hour after the cover image was, was trumpeted just... as the big thing.
2: This is when... I mean, I, I remember when we were talking about that leaked um, Infinity War Part 2 image, and there was the concept art of what Captain Marvel might look like, and I said, but isn't... That's exactly what we expected to look right like right I can't, I I just couldn't imagine anything different and so when when we saw this image I was just like yeah and I think that's what the rest of the internet was like it was like yeah, yeah that is that is what we expected and, and yeah. all it did was kind of like I guess finally shut down the people who were bitching about the the turquoise costume because that's only going to be the costume for part of the movie I mean was any were people really worried about that I, d- I
3: think some nerds well they can't have been very big nerds <laughs> frankly if <laughs> yeah, they
2: thought they weren't big was enough going to, to know the costume. that
3: the
0: captain marvel started out in a green and white costume <laughs>
3: yeah
2: right well i'm gonna go through the uh the bits and pieces that were part of these various articles and who knows there might be a couple more tidbits that come out when the actual physical copy of ew comes out this um this weekend um a printed version gonna- of a
0: web page interesting
2: <laughs> um i'm gonna uh, just read out verbatim the kind of plot details that um the article <laughs> lays out so captain if, you marvel... if you don't
0: want to hear them skip now
2: yeah <laughs> this is the setup to the movie i think it's fine captain marvel sidesteps the traditional origin story template and when it begins carol already has her powers hmm interesting She's left her... I added that bit. That wasn't in the article. (laughs) She's left her earthly life behind to join an elite Kree military team called Starforce, led by Jude Law's enigmatic commander, who, they're not naming, but I think we can guess who it
4: is.
2: (laughs) But before long, Carol finds herself back on Earth with new questions about her past, and she's got a formidable enemy in the form of the Skrulls, the notorious Marvel baddies made all the more dangerous by their shape-shifting abilities. Ben Mendelsohn plays their leader Talos, who spearheads a Skrull invasion of Earth. So, I guess the interesting part of that is we knew for a while that Captain Marvel was going to be changing the origin. Um, Cap- Carol already has her powers at the start of this film. Who knows whether we'll be getting flashbacks or any or anything like that. Um, but this sounds like maybe a little bit like they did with Star-Lord, which is, oh, she had like a powered parent. Because it sounds like she might be half Kree, half human all along.
0: Yeah. Or at least that, that would be a reasonable least, change.
2: Yeah, or at least if she doesn't, then we're not gonna spend time watching like someone come and give her the powers or some weird her I don't know, chronicle style walk into a pit and <laughs> come out. Ha- yeah, it
3: it will be nice not to have to wait for like an hour into the film mm. for her to be Captain Marvel. <laughs> or at or least you know, does... for her to be superpowered and, you know, Doing super it, things.
2: It does sound a little bit Guardians of the Galaxy.
3: <laughs> sounds are a you, lot Guardians you, of Galaxy. Well, yeah, a lot about this film sounds Guardians of the Galaxy. Tell me where that's a bad thing. <laughs>
2: no, um, <laughs> well, I, it's
0: not like we're getting another one of those. So, yes,
2: yeah, so, yeah, let's turn this franchise into that. Um, so that it, we um, Star Force, who is this uh, elite, elite Kree military team? The EW article says they are pretty much like SEAL Team Six in space. Um, and that that team is going to be made up of uh, Carol Danvers, Marvel, who I, I think he's going to be like the commander of the team, um, played by Jude Law. Although Marvel aren't confirming that that's who he's playing yet. The article says just you know a mysterious character, but I think we all expect it's Marvel. Uh, Minerva is going to be part of that team, as is Korath. And it looks like from one of the other images that they are reporting into Ronan the Accuser and that Ronan and Korath at this point are still on the good side of things with the Kree and, part, and like respected figures within the Kree military.
3: Well, if it's set beforehand, that would make sense because yes. Guardians is the point at which they stopped being <laughs> that. Hmm. So, eh. yeah.
0: um, Ronan's called a fanatic within Guardians, right? They say, "Oh, he's a Cree fanatic, or whatever."
3: Yeah, no, he's he's a fanatic, but he is still he hasn't good, struck completely out on his own. Like at that point, he's I'm I'm sure it's within Guardians that he decides to go it alone. Like he's he's a fanatical Cree, but he's you know fanatically devoted to the Cree mm. at the start at the outset, isn't he? Isn't I think. he
2: working for Thanos? He is, but I don't know whether that's. I don't know whether that whether he is like fully. I think maybe, I think maybe it might have happened before. Said, but I, to be honest, Rona's not really t- tip top of my memories when I, <laughs> I think about say, Guardians of the it's Galaxy. Nice like to have those
0: characters get some background. Like, okay, the, we couldn't fit it in the first film they were in, but we'll yeah. do it in the next one.
2: So that's going to be where we start the film. Eventually, we're going to go down to Earth. There was also a picture of the scrolls. Uh, they look like scrolls. They to the picture looked a little bit silly, um, but I guess you're not going to see them in their scroll form for much of the movie. I would guess. I bet. I, I think we'll probably see Ben Mendelssohn as Ben Mendelssohn for stretches and characters. I mean, you say they look a bit silly. They look like scrolls. Yeah, which is a bit silly. So, well, yeah, but like, if you, you can know. do
0: Star Trek movies where Romulans look like Romulans, you can do scroll movies where
2: scrolls. look yeah, like I mean. Yeah, I'm not complaining, but they do—they do look a bit silly. Yeah,
3: but it's not possible for them to look like scrolls without looking silly. So you either have them look like scrolls, or you have them not look like scrolls and not look silly. And if they didn't look like scrolls and didn't look silly, everyone would be complaining about the fact that they didn't look like scrolls. So.
2: you two would and I would be saying I don't I Do you give want to shit. point out
0: the Chitaris were scrolls that didn't look like scrolls in Ultimates and look how that turned out.
3: Yeah, exactly. No one remembers that they were meant to be scrolls in exactly. the first place. I, I, I really like that look just because I'm surprised that they've gone as close as they have, yep. to be honest. Yeah. Um, they've got the chin, that's the important thing. <laughs>
0: the wrinkly chin.
2: <laughs> um and then um i guess the other point which i uh, kind of alluded to in the question at the start uh we found out that lashana lynch is playing maria rambeau who is the mother of monica rambeau and given the timelines of things um well so the point of maria rambeau will be one of carol's like long sat time mm. friends and a, and a fellow pilot so it sounds like it's not just that carol will be like will have always been in space she'll have lived on earth at some point she's gone up to space with marvell and she Mm. will be coming back and there's people that she knows down on earth and yes maria rambo will be one of her close friends so i mean aside from the costume being exactly what we expected i think brie larson looks pretty badass um the the story details kind of make me more intrigued, it makes sense, and I'm still really looking forward to this movie. Um Marvel are gonna have um an interesting year ahead. And it will and and it will have been, actually, given that the way the three movies were kind of all front loaded in twenty eighteen, um Captain Marvel's gonna arrive and I think people are gonna be yearning for a Marvel movie. The Avengers Infinity War trailers will probably be kicking into full gear around then and Yeah, I can't can't wait to see this movie, which we should remember was originally going to be released in the Ant-Man and the Wasp slot until it was pushed back when Spider-Man became part of the MCU. Damn (laughs) Spider-Man. On that point, so we are obviously, uh, well, by the time Captain Marvel arrives, we'll be 11 years into the MCU. We'll be 21 movies? Uh, 20 movies?
0: 21, I think, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Kevin Feige was talking about there being a lack of female superhero movies um, and said that more are coming. Um, But kind of pointed the finger of blame elsewhere when they asked him why there hadn't been any so far. So he kind of said like, oh, I think there was this false notion that female superhero movies would be a failure because there was about 15 years of female superhero movies being failures. But I didn't think that was ever because they were female superhero movies. It was because like the movies weren't right, yada yada yada, and kind of implied that he would have loved to have made loads of female superhero movies before now, but Disney wouldn't let him. I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> I, I kind mean, of think I kind of think like Feige just to own it.
0: There are there are the leaked Sony emails where i think is isaac Pilmutter is saying like female superhero movies haven't done well for us in the past or haven't done well in the past mm. and there was this notion that he as the sort of penny pinching head of marvel was basically giving a flat out no we're not doing female superheroes because they won't make money thing that you know it's notable that as soon as marvel so marvel studios sort of wriggled out from under marvel comics they announced the captain marvel movie so, you, yeah. you know, if you're being charitable, you could say, well, you know, it was Isaac Perlmutter holding Kevin Feige back. That's it. I mean,
2: he only there could, was also you know. a lot of movies that were announced in that Phase 3 slate. And Captain Marvel was one of them. Yeah. And that movie, and that movie, even within Phase 3, got pushed back to make room for Spider-Man. And
0: also, even if you can't have female superheroes headlining your movies, you can create them and put them in other movies which they did not also did not do (laughs) Um,
2: and i I, I fully believe him that things will change i just think as the kind of public face of marvel i would have liked him to kind of like do less of a oh i would have liked to do this but i couldn't and more of yeah look we hold our hands up yeah Mm. it would have been fantastic if we could have done this before but we didn't and now we need to make up for that (laughs) and i'm sure i'm sure that is the plan I'm they, sure it is the plan to get more female superheroes in there, and it feels like that's the way the universe has kind of been structured from here. But still, just own it. There, there is an element
3: of the way that Marvel have been talking about this, and the way that publicity around this that um, that feels a bit un, unjustifiably self-congratulatory. <laughs> it does it feel was, a bit like they forgot Wonder Woman ever happened. Well, yeah, so, yeah. Like a friend of the pod, Caroline Cedar, uh, pointed out that you know on that Entertainment Weekly cover, it says the future is female. <laughs> and it's like well you know, only if past. you're the MCU <laughs> yeah, the uh,
4: because past yeah could you, have been past female really as is. well
3: yeah it's like not you know not only have in recent times we've had wonder woman beating captain marvel to the punch but i think um, a, a supergirl movie from 1984 might hold its hands up and go <laughs> hello i'm over here in the past so
2: fab wire yeah
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, uh, it, I mean, it's it's great. This movie is happening. It's great that Hollywood is moving in the right direction. Oh
3: yeah, I mean, it it totally but, is a good thing. But but Marvel don't deserve a huge amount of credit no, for doing it no. now.
2: <laughs> no, Mar- uh, no, Marvel don't deserve any credit for doing it now. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm very much looking forward to a super a female superhero movie coming. Um, I also look at this cast and see a whole lot of dudes. So I, I even even within this context things don't look perfect. You know, male villain, Nick Fury, Coulson, Lee Pace, Korath. A lot of, a lot of a lot of Marvel blokes coming back to this movie. And uh There are, but not that there aren't not that there aren't yes. And Lashana Lynch and um and Gemma Chan. it Step in the right direction, but yeah, stop patting yourself on the back, Marvel, and uh keep moving in that direction. Anyway, speaking of female led superhero movies, Wonder Woman eighty four has confirmed that Robin Wright will be returning um as Antiope. Uh in what we think is gonna be a flashback. Um and that's great oh, news, dead. right, you guys? <laughs> <So> what Yeah, <laughs> Seb, you say because she's dead, as if as if Chris Pine isn't one of the leads in this movie.
3: We never saw a body.
2: <laughs> I saw fireworks.
3: Golden rule of superheroes: if you don't see a body, especially in a plane explosion.
4: <laughs> oh
3: um, but yeah, um, yeah, good news. Likes the character, you know. It, it's understandable that she got killed off the way she did because it's an important piece of character development. Does it? It doesn't count as a fridging if a female character is killed to uh, affect the um, character arc of a female not character, the p- not in the purest it. sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you know great performance in that film great character uh makes sense to try and bring her back in some way i mean we still don't have a clue what the hell this movie's doing do we so it's hard to make many in the way of predictions about um in what context anything might happen
2: so i'm sure that i wouldn't put it past this movie just to be creating a scene for the sake of it to get her back in there because she's so good well, but it's I like think... it's like it's like getting
3: you know Cliff Robertson in in all the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies yeah. It doesn't mean they brought <laughs> Uncle Ben back from the dead. No,
2: but I but obviously there is a we think dead character returning to Wonder Woman eighty four, so it it could work along similar lines. I doubt it, but as I think I said back on probably our Wonder Woman podcast and again since um, Antiope for me was always the more interesting character and the more interesting relationship with Diana than Hippolyta and yeah I yeah I kind of want to see more Robin Wright more than I want to see more Connie Nielsen um well Robin Wright's a better
4: actor
2: (laughs) yeah no you're you're not wrong there um I still will not be watching the final season of House of Cards but she is she is very good um do you want to know some people who are returning for Spider-Man Far From Home Go on, because I
3: don't know this, but you two apparently do. So I can react in real time to this, apart from the one that James gave away.
2: I think some of this has been talked about already and this is coming from set, fo- set photos. So listeners, if you don't want to hear this, skip a couple of minutes ahead. But I don't think it's much of a spoiler. Um, all pictured on set have been uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Kobe Smulders as Maria Hull, uh, Maria Hull, Maria Hill and Jon Favreau as Happy Hogan. So all of those characters returning to Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, presumably but not to... Tony
3: Stark because he's no. going to be
2: dead. Yeah, they're, they're all going <laughs> to be helping young Peter Parker work through his grief. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, that is what they are there for. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it tells us much about the plot, other than... Uh, cause, well, I would even say that other than, like, Spider-Man is still kind of an active part of the Avengers post-Infinity event War, but... Yeah, what is Fury and Hill's function? Because they're not S.H.I.E.L.D., or are they S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is, does S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> still exist? Good question. Does Shield still exist? Does Hydra still exist? I was going to say, has, has like it,
3: Shield existed at all since Winter Soldier?
2: Not, not canonically in the movies, I don't think.
1: <laughs>
2: I, I mean, mean hang yeah. on, who <laughs> did Everett Ross work for? Uh, the, the government, the state He's department. A, yeah, ah, right. and like it's been, it's like Randall Park was CIA in. Um, yeah. No, he was FBI. He was FBI, but there was. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd lose, I'd lose track. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, there's I you know, there's a TV series that has Shield in, but <laughs> does is there is there yeah quite a
3: and agents from Shield.
0: I mean, the last the last we saw of Shield, as far as I'm concerned, was Nick Fury flying a helicarrier into the sunset in Avengers: <laughs> Age of Ultron. And I'm so, sure they've knows. I'm sure they've alluded in the movies to the idea that Hydra is completely gone as well.
2: But Hydra was post Civil War a hydra guy tried to buy stuff in ant-man.
0: ex hydra X-hydra.
2: Was it definitely ex hydra Okay. Yeah. I, I'll 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 allow it. Um <laughs> but yeah, I for me this confirms that Happy Hogan was killed in the snap. I'm I'm going out <laughs> there I'm saying it. Happy Hogan was killed in the snap and that that's why he's he's dust right now but he'll be back for far from home. And Tony Stark didn't care. <laughs> okay um we we'll move on to the joker movie the uh john favreau no john favreau. <laughs> jesus christ that i the, could
3: that i wouldn't mind seeing <laughs> oh
2: god no um <laughs> the joaquin phoenix joker movie directed by todd phillips produced by martin scorsese apparently um Since we last spoke about this movie, I can't remember who we we spoke. We definitely talked about Zazie Beats probably being part of the cast. Uh, Robert De Niro is, is, I think we've spoken about him being in it. He is rumoured to be playing a late night talk show host, which kind of hints at the early rumours that it was going to be inspired by, like, King of Comedy. Um, (laughs) And also Mark Maron. Uh, who is obviously a stand-up comedian, and um, in this movie, it sounds like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is going to begin life as a failed stand-up. Um, Alec Baldwin was almost in the movie, rumoured to be Thomas Wayne, and then <laughs> not in the movie. And apparently Vigo Mortensen has also turned down that role. And I feel like at this point, I've read just as much about actors who aren't going to be in this Joker movie as actors who are. <laughs> um. Which, I don't know what that says about the script, but then again, Joaquin Phoenix signed up for it, but then again, Tom Hardy is doing Venom. So, I... I, I, <laughs> I you know, mean, I re- from the
3: sound of it, it is a script in which Bruce Wayne's father is a Trump-esque businessman. So draw your own conclusions from that,
2: really. I mean, and in which case, thank fuck Alec Baldwin is not in it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I like Alec Baldwin in things, Um but this, sound, I I don't like him as Trump. This sounded horrible, and um, I'm I'm still getting over his the the he is the one bad part of Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, <laughs> I, so, I can't yeah. see
0: Alec Baldwin without seeing Jack Don Jack Donaghy.
2: Yeah, I I just
3: fair. I, it's just, it was just it wasn't even for me so much the the casting of Alec Baldwin so much just so much as. Just why? I, I I don't even mind the concept of doing a a Trump esque businessman character in DC because there already kind of is one. It's Lex Luthor, except you know intelligent. Um, but it's why. Why put that spin on Thomas Wayne? What do you well, get out could, of that other than it, making people go, "Oh, that's Batman's dad and he's a bit of a ronga." It's It it's
2: could just, be it, you know. it could be from Joker's perspective. It could be like a warped perspective of this guy who's losing grip. Well, in which reality.
3: case, I would say in 2018, it's not really a good time to do a character who is like Donald Trump <laughs> and who from the perspective of the baddie is a baddie, but from the perspective of everybody else is a goodie. I mean, read the fucking room. <laughs>
2: Uh, I really don't know what to expect from this movie because I do want to see Joaquin Phoenix playing a version of the Joker. I I'd take it or leave it. <laughs> I remain unconvinced about it. But he's, like I said at the time, he's one of the few actors working today who I would like to see in that character. There aren't many people that I think, oh yeah, I would love to see their take on the Joker next. He's one of them. Um, I'm not sure I'd go that far. I
0: just, I don't know, I can't read this movie until we see at least a picture of it, because they could be doing anything with it.
2: Yeah. And it could have very little, it could bear very little relation to any version of the Joker we've even seen Mm -hmm. before. I just, I just don't, it's even putting aside the, you know,
3: possibly putting a dark spin on him. I don't want to see Thomas Wayne in a movie because Thomas Wayne is not the interesting part of the Batman mythos. The only time I want to see Thomas Wayne is getting shot in an alley, and I've seen that <laughs> enough times in Batman movies.
2: I hate to tell you this, Seb, you're definitely seeing him in Flashpoint as well.
3: <laughs> I'm just, i just fed up of this obsession, and I'm, and I'm sure I've talked about it before with the ba- parents of superheroes.
2: Or characters or from a Harris. universe that aren't the character.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't. I don't want to see Thomas Wayne being like Bruce Wayne. I want to see Bruce Wayne as Bruce Wayne. I don't want to see Jurel as a superhero or or, or Segel or or whoever. Like, I just I'm I I I want the characters themselves. I'm not interested in their parents. And it just seems to be because the people in control of these franchises like have hit an age where they've become parents and so they want to do stories that also seem to be about their own troubled relationships with their parents that they're reflecting on now their parents themselves i, um, don't, I don't even
0: think it's necessarily that i think it's purely they're just going like superman sell as well we can't do 10 superman stories what can we do that's like no, but, superman I mean- but not
3: it, it goes back through comics, and it, it seems to be something that Jeff Johns in particular has a real thing about is, is the parents of superheroes because he does it a lot. Yeah, oh, and yeah. It, it, in, it, it seems to be the, when, when, when men who write comics and comic book stuff hit their 40s, they do these stories. Yeah, on the, on the level just, of
0: individual creators, sure. Like that happens in computer games as well. Like there are so many computer games that are like, <laughs> this, I've made a story, a computer game where the lead character is a parent. Ah, it's normally a father with a young girl. And yeah, they're like there are like twenty <laughs> examples of that, which all think they're doing something new with the with the genre because you know people who made computer games haven't had time to grow up and become parents until now. But <laughs> well, I think guys, on they're... a on a corporate level, they're just going, "What's Superman? What's more Superman? But that isn't going to dilute a Justice League property or whatever."
3: I just, I you know, I, I just. If given the choice between a story about the Joker and Batman and the Joker and Batman's dad I want to see a story about the Joker and Batman it's it's I the relationship between those characters that makes it interesting
2: I don't get the impression that this that that Baldwin is going to be playing a huge part it feels like a bit part Maybe he's going to say, it feels like so it, it might be texture, on...
0: texture in the world rather than he's yeah. going to be a protagonist or but
3: what? But what texture would it add beyond being able to go, ah? Well, if, if the Joker's
0: like a well, penniless <laughs> schmuck and you know Bruce Wayne is like this super privileged kid with a mega rich father, you can imagine him watching Thomas Wayne on TV and being like, oh, you know, why don't you have the little guy's... Like, uh, so so, so again, so it's
3: about whatever. making the Joker sympathetic. So it's about making the villain sympathetic. So again, welcome to 2018. It's a Joker movie.
0: It's a Joker movie. <laughs> like he's gonna yeah, but be... he's still a
3: baddie. He's still the fucking Joker. <laughs> you know, I'll happily read a comic. I'll read a Joker comic. It doesn't mean that I'm rooting it for him. It doesn't
0: have to be that black and white,
2: though, does it? Yeah, and you and you. It
3: don't does but it kind of it. does when it's the Joker. I'm sorry. It, there, there's not shades of grey with a murderous, psychopathic clown. They really aren't. Have you? <laughs> have you there, seen you But Kit?
2: you don't know what. You, yeah, and we don't know what the take on this carrots is going to be. It's it's not part of the DC universe. They could be doing anything they want with it. I'd like. I, I, who's to say whether it's good or not? But I I find it very difficult based on seeing. Oh, they're putting Thomas Wayne in this movie to say that is a bad idea because I've got no yeah, idea. I mean, what the aside movie is.
0: aside from the fact that making the movie a Joker origin story is fundamentally a bad idea, the movie they make could be fine. Like. It could just be a tragedy of, like, here is a fundamentally good person who becomes a murderous psychopath. Isn't that sad? Like, that's a story you can do with the Joker. It's not necessarily the story I think they should do, but it is one you can do.
2: (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about a character who you do want to see. Timothy Dalton has been (laughs) cast in Doom Patrol as Dr. Niles Calder. Now, I don't know Dr. Niles Calder, you guys, but I know Timothy Dalton and I like me some Timothy Dalton.
3: <laughs> I, I do know Dr. Niles Calder, and I am suddenly very, very interested in this show, which I still think could be a complete clusterfuck, because I, I, I do, I I'm not sure I trust a, a, a DC Universe TV take on what appears to be a take on Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. That seems, it, if you'll excuse the pun, doomed to failure.
2: But and I'm a right, Timothy in thinking that, that this the is chief. the one, Seb. This is the one being spun out from Titans. Yes, which, so it, yes, yeah.
3: mm. <laughs> and everything we've seen of Titans so far suggests that if Doom Patrol is anything like that, we've got a problem. However, yes, uh, Timothy Dalton playing the Chief is fantastic casting. Um, I mean, all you really need to say about Niles Calder is that he's Professor X. But with a beard
4: that was and hair, fun.
3: Um, you know. He, I mean, it's it's funny because he was created uh, almost exactly at the same time as Professor X. Um, you know, this wasn't a case of one company nicking the other. Like their first appearances got published within a few months of each other. I think we talked about this before when the Doom Patrol show was when we were first talking about it. Um, but he is basically the the um slightly not exactly twisted, but the slightly weird genius scientist who brings the Doom Patrol together. Um and um so, you know, he's got he's got that sort of um you're never quite sure of his motives sort of yeah, element yeah, yeah. to him. Um, you know, he's he is a slightly troublesome example of the potentially malevolent man in a wheelchair that you get in, in that era of fiction, which, you know, ideally we would be moving away from but um yeah I mean I, I just yeah as soon as I just I saw today uh, the picture of Dalton next to the picture of him and I was just yeah that's just because Timothy Dalton is fantastic isn't he who who doesn't love Timothy Dalton mm.
2: he is my third favourite Bond
3: <laughs> who are the other two sorry who 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 are above him
2: Connery and Craig I I love Roger Moore as well There's, there is only one bad Bond but he's in a fantastic Bond movie so it's it's very confusing uh but yeah, I, I do really enjoy me some Dalton. Um, and I'm sure that will be fantastic. Uh, but we've talked the news to death, I think, you guys. So we will move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of V for Nendetta. Um I will be playing the the kind of arbitrator here, or maybe <laughs> maybe a bit of devil's advocate. And I guess you two guys, you can decide which is going to be which afterwards, but one of you will be the anarchist, the other the fascist. Is that fair? Well, I
0: already know which one I am.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we'll take a listen to the trailer for Viva Vendetta and we'll be back to discuss it shortly.
0: I wish I wasn't afraid all the time, but... I am.
4: People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people.
1: Those caught in violation of curfew will be prosecuted without leniency or exception. It's past curfew, you know.
0: Gentlemen, I want this terror is found. And I want him to understand what
2: terror really means. We're working on several leads.
1: Her parents were detained when she was 12. It was like those black bags erased them from the face of the earth. You have one chance. You must tell us the whereabouts of code name V.
4: If our own government was responsible for the deaths of a hundred thousand people, you really want to know? <laughs> Those who are responsible will be held accountable. The time has come for you to live without fear.
0: I'm ready. This country stands on the edge of oblivion.
1: I have everything to remember. Why they need us? Kill him.
4: this feeling that everything was connected we're all part of it are we ready for it the only verdict
2: is vengeance right guys v4 vendetta um the podcast that we've been building up to for some time <laughs> I think at least since
3: we started
2: the podcast yeah, this,
0: we just we started the podcast as an excuse to have this
3: discussion <laughs> to finally have this argument in we've had me and James. we've
2: had guests express interest in being on our V for Vendetta episode and we've had to tell them no because <laughs> you're not allowed J- James and Seb have been promising to have a fight about this since word go so you guys you've re-watched it this week Seb, you better still fucking dislike it, and James, you better still like it, or you've ruined this entire thing. Because I really do come down on it's fine. Can't can't imagine getting animated about it in either direction. Um.
3: Okay. I, I've I've got. I will disappoint you slightly. Um, For fuck's sake, Seb. I don't hate it as much as i did i mean i was so angry when i left the cinema after seeing this film i was as i may have said this before but it, but if i haven't um the i don't walk out of films i didn't walk out of man of steel when i was covered in puke well, that was partly because it was difficult to get out <laughs> of the <laughs> aisle without covering everybody in puke. Well, yeah well, except, and also there was only about fair, 10 partly, minutes to go at that point
2: and partly because you made it up to annoy Zack snyder fans. of
3: course yes yes <laughs> The point is, I don't walk out... If I've paid to see a film, usually... I'm, I'm not someone who goes to see a lot of films where there's a chance I might not like it, so the chances of me seeing a film in the cinema that I actively hate, unless I've gone to review it, are pretty low anyway. I paid to see V for Vendetta. I was hoping I would like it. It's the only time I've nearly walked out of a film, and it was because of one very specific moment, and we'll get to that specific moment, because at that specific moment... I knew from then on that the film that I just was not on board with what the film was doing. It, it was not, as far as I was concerned, it wasn't a, an adaptation of, of V for Vendetta. And I know the word adaptation is important, and we'll we'll get to that. And you know, f- films don't have to be slavishly true to source material, but it was just this was not the V for Vendetta that I wanted to see. By the end of it. I was nearly shouting at the screen. Having not walked out, I was nearly shouting out in the cinema. I was that angry at the film. So I've never watched it since then because I hated it so much. Watching it last night, uh, I still don't think it's a good film. I think it's a bad film. I think it's got such such fundamental flaws that anything that's good about it is is overridden. But I don't feel angry at it. I just feel a bit sad for it because it's just it's just crap. And it just it's it's not capable of it's been given like the potential to to make a great film out of what it's got which is a great book great source material a great story great visuals and a fantastic cast like like so many people kept popping up in this that i was like i love that person mm. but it's it's just so woeful in 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 its approach to everything but as I say like now I just watched it thinking I think you're a bit sad and pathetic not you have you have destroyed my values because I'm I'm a lot further away from my first reading of the V for Vendetta comic than I was in 2005 so like I, I was within five years of my first reading of the comic back when this film came out um so you know uh, and I was younger, obviously, because that's what happens with passage <laughs> that's of time that's how time works um, yeah so uh, yeah i'm I'm afraid this isn't gonna be just me angrily ranting about the film while James tries to defend it, but I haven't shifted in my view that it's a bad film, and I don't understand why people think it's a good film
2: i was um I would have been fifteen, I think when this movie came out uh no sixteen in the u k um and I-, I remember just thinking that it was cool and like not a lot beyond that. And I- and like certain visuals from it definitely stuck with me. Um uh, Roger Allam's performance stuck with me. Uh, big um big John Hurt screens stuck with me. Um I mean now a, a lot of that stuff feels Fairly obvious what they're getting at. Fairly derivative of other of like you know other kind of totalitarian regime kind of. I like how they I mean, they make the dictator big, big called Sutler
3: because kind of it sounds a bit like. Mm.
2: So yeah, I thought it. I thought it was very cool when I was sixteen, and now I kind of think, huh? It's it's it builds. I think, uh, like, a believable world. If oh not... well,
3: no, I really don't, mm. and that's one of my biggest problems that we'll get onto. I, I think I, the world I building kind of, is the, is the most ham-fisted stuff in the
2: film. I I, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't. Say... I I get what they're going for. I get. I get what they're trying to say. It's not very subtle. um and some of the performances are good, and some of the performances are bad. <laughs> and um, I, I, I guess I think my biggest problem with the movie is that while I kind of enjoy it well enough as I'm going along, it feels like it feels to me like a a short story on novella <laughs> where. Here is this very definitive idea. In one year, everyone will charge Parliament and Parliament will blow up. And it never feels like we will get to the end of the movie in any place other than the place it arrives at. It feels very predestined from start mm. to finish. And for that, I need to really, really find the characters interesting. <laughs> I think I think I do find Evie interesting, unfortunately. And I need to caveat this with... I think Natalie Portman is a very fine actor. I think she has given lots of great performances. We haven't been able to talk about those performances on this podcast, <laughs> and we're definitely not going to
0: talk about them on this podcast.
2: No, but I don't. But I don't think this is a bad performance. It's a I bad think this accent. A, it's not it's a, a bad performance. Bad no, that's bad it. It's it's a performance that is killed by the accent because she is never anywhere <laughs> near a British accent, and it. And you, I, I kind of watched this and thought, you had what five, six years earlier, a young Kira Knightley playing a lookalike of Kira of Natalie Portman in *Phantom Menace*. I, <laughs> I think this movie, even with Kira Knightley, who's a far better actress now than she was in two thousand and five, but just a, just a competent British actress with a British accent would have improved this movie immeasurably. Because mm-hmm. yeah, Natalie Portman incredible actress loses the battle to the accent early on and it, it kills any, any nuance in the performance. And so that's my take on the movie. Mm. I think it's fine. I think it's fine.
0: I mean, this is... I'm going to really destroy the entire premise of the podcast.
2: Oh, Well, because the Jesus thing is, Christ. right,
0: I never loved this movie. My <laughs> position was always, it's not as bad as Seb thinks it is. And I'm, I'm glad he's come around to that.
2: I
3: broadly agree
2: with you. We... Yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was in 2005. Yeah, but and Seb kind of said that he pities and feels sorry for this movie. That's still pretty strong. Yeah,
0: okay, I'm I'm not that I'm not that far on his side. I think I think it's a good movie with some real like clunky bits and some shocking performances. I would say it's about 60% great and 40% horrendous. Ooh.
2: That's interesting though. So what what is it that you think is great about it?
0: I like the Okay, one of the things is that I like the fact that they took this political work and didn't adapt the politics of the original work, but found their own way to do it. And I remember when it came out, so much so much of this movie is like rooted in a critique of the Bush administration. Which, Mm. frankly, feels like a happy memory.
4: (laughs) Well, (laughs) you
2: know, that's the funny thing about it, isn't it? That you can so clearly see the, like, the Bush-era parallels Mm -hmm. with, like... I I mean, there's the scenes that you're like, oh, we're doing Abu Ghraib now. Like, you know, uh, you you cast your mind back 10, 12 years, except it is, like, an escalated, elevated version of the Bush regime... And now yes. you look at it and go, oh, oh God, it's actually, like, the <laughs> the kind of manip- the media manipulation, the, like, the like trying to spin very clear and obvious facts as lies mm-hmm. um, feels a lot closer mm. <laughs> to the current yeah. US administration than it does the Bush one.
0: Well, quite. And, like, the thing is, I, I think that in itself was a good decision because if you adapt the original story, what you get is a criticism of Thatcherism. And it's like, fair enough, you don't need to make a movie about Thatcherism being bad in 2005. Like, make it about now. So I I always enjoyed that decision and I think it still works.
3: Well, I think this was... So there was something that I wanted to uh, talk about up top in terms of the differences between the book and the film because um, I, 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 I said... To you guys, before we started this, that I I think it's 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 such a big thing that I think it does inform almost anything else that you would say about it, and I, and I think particularly for listeners who haven't necessarily read the book, I think it is important to explain and,
2: and members of the podcast who haven't necessarily. Well, yes. <laughs> <read> the book.
3: <laughs> so I think it's important to explain what the biggest difference in terms of the story is between the the film and the book because i think that really gets to the nub of a lot of the ideological differences between the film and the book so the biggest difference is that uh the setup in the book is that there was a nuclear war uh which isn't the case here um and in the wake of the while britain wasn't hit by nuclear bombs lots of other places were including europe and the usa And in the power vacuum that resulted from Britain and Britain falling apart uh, economically and and in terms of social structure and everything, a fascist party swept into power um, and then, you know, created this ruling dystopia. All of the stuff, all of the conspiracy that ends up being the main plot of this film about how they actually caused the disaster that killed loads of people in order to then sweep into power is not the case and I think that is a pretty big difference in terms of what the film is saying about how it's all about it's all the government's fault and how the book is kind of well you let these people in um there's also because because also as well the it's called v for vendetta and the the plot the plot is that v is murdering a load of people in a vendetta and that's never really got into by the film. It's kind of an afterthought almost um you know, and the point is again you know the the, the concentration camp thing, and it's not really a concentration camp in the film because it's it's just a place where people were specifically experimented on before Norse fire were fully in power because it's where the virus thing came out of in the book. You know, this this happened after the war and after society's collapse. There were concentration camps everywhere and V came out of one of them and, and all of that. So it's... You know, I, there are some ways in which I think it's it's subtle differences and it's not necessarily differences that harm things. But I also think it's really telling that this film ends with the destruction of Parliament, which is a seat of ostensibly fair democracy. Because surely the point is about defeating fascism, not about defeating the very concept of democracy, which is supposed to be fair and representative. And I know Parliament gets destroyed in the book, but in the book, Parliament's not functional and doesn't exist. It's a, it's an old abandoned building that gets blown up at the start of the book, and at the end of the book, he destroys Downing Street, where the actual seat of power is. Um, and I do just find it weird that the film is so... Fetishistic about the destruction of the Houses of Parliament and about Guy Fawkes. The film, you know, uh, before we were on mic, James mentioned an article which I think we'll link to on Twitter that was 15 (laughs) Things You Didn't Know About V for Vendetta. And one of the things that it explained was that Guy Fawkes was not this master planner who had this amazing plan to bring down government. He was essentially a patsy for a religious plot to. Um, stir up anti-Catholic hatred in the in the UK. Um, the, this film doesn't seem to know that. This film seems to think that Guy Fawkes was this amazing, inspirational figure who was all about bringing down government for a greater good, and and is just it, v is just obsessed with Guy Fawkes throughout the film. And it's like it's just a costume. It's it's just a symbol. That's it, it's not meant to be anything more than that it's it's weird the way the film and and it and it's it's emblematic to me of all these little bits and these these pieces of british culture and and history and politics that the film just doesn't understand and just blunders into
2: i will say the the film was it was filmed in london but this never feels like a a british or a london movie to me no,
3: well, it's, it's, it's only, things like it's things yeah, like the, the sense- BTN and and the and the federal post service that they have and like okay, it's a little detail, right? But it, it sums up to me. Sorry, James, I am going to let you. <laughs> on. Uh, have your your <laughs> report in a minute. But it, 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 it's a little thing that sums up to me how this film just just wasn't paying attention to a lot of this stuff. Um, the Post Office Tower, also known as the BT Tower, also known as the GPO Tower, is a prominent landmark in London. It's had a few different names over the years, but it's it's a known building. And in both the book and the film, it is uh, the headquarters of the, the Eye and the Ear. Um, and in the book, it gets blown up, but so does a tower called Jordan Tower that is a fictional tower that Moore created for the book. In the film the scene with him at the BT Tower takes place and it doesn't get blown up but they they call the BT Tower Jordan Tower for no apparent reason they they give it the name of a different building that was invented for the book and i i just it's like it's like they misread the book and they didn't bother I, to on. look up I, the geography honestly, of london i
0: genuinely think that's just nitpicking
3: it's that's okay. It is nitpicking. I will grant you that it's nitpicking, but it's nitpicking that I think it's nitpicking at something that is a symptom or an emblem of a wider problem with the film. And the other obvious example, which is the one everyone will talk about, is Eggy in a basket.
0: <laughs> I mean, the so, thing is, right? This is clearly not present day Britain, right? It, it's an alternate history. Yeah.
3: Well, to, to say it's, it's in the future, it's present. an alternate future. Or an alternate future, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's non-speculative in that it's not implying that Britain could end up like this. The V yeah. the Vendetta comic was arguably saying that, mm. but I think the movie... But that, I think that makes it fundamentally
3: less interesting. I think that's, you perhaps, know... Perhaps,
0: perhaps, like, that is definitely a Your Mileage May Vary thing, but I think critiquing its depiction of British culture kind of... Okay, egg in a basket is grown worthy purely because we don't have egg in a basket. So trying to invent it as some, you know, quaint British thing is just stupid. But also, this is aimed at an American audience. It's about an American mm. politics. So if it seems like a cartoonish version of Britain, that's because it's not trying to please British people.
2: And it's well, not. Why isn't I it don't, set I America don't, then? Because because, because it's they're, easy, like, <laughs> they're using they're using the comic to create a pastiche or, or, or to create a. Yeah, a satire of American politics. And so you you layer that on top of the thing. Yeah, I really mean, it's, it's like
0: saying, why is Star Trek 6? is about the Cold War. Why is it set in space?
3: Like <laughs> okay. that's these, what it is. These, these may be fine reasons for it to be the way it is, but they are also reasons that make it really hard for me, a British mm. person who really likes the book V for Vendetta, to, <laughs> to enjoy the film.
0: Like, okay, that... <laughs> That is fine if you acknowledge that it's a personal reaction. But I think, as like, okay, in, uh, uh, in yeah. itself, it's a film that is doing a specific thing and using different, like, using the tools of the comic to achieve its aims.
4: Mm. And I, but I'm, I,
0: I, I'm fine with that. It's like, you know, if the Lindelof Watchmen adaptation was being done with <laughs> Alan Moore's blessing and completely, you know, reworking the story and stuff, you would say, sure, do something new with Watchmen. Why not?
3: I it's think it's, it's just... not professing
0: to be a direct adaptation. No, So it's not. I can forgive it for not being one.
2: But I... And what it, what this does allow, it allows for... I, I honestly think, like, setting it in Britain rather than America allows it to feel like its own story, as well as being a pastiche for American yeah, politics. Yeah, definitely. It also, it also allows you to cast some really fine British actors in the roles. <laughs> um like Eddie Marsan turns up for like thirty yeah. seconds
3: in this, and you're like, oh, <laughs> well, I hey, you what, Eddie. I, to to um to cancel out, uh, well not cancel out, but you know to to counter all of the negativity that's come from me right at the start. And seeing as you're talking about great British actors, can I talk about a, a change and a decision that the film makes, which is I wouldn't necessarily say an improvement on the source material. But one, it works really well in the film. And two, watching it in 2018, I wish there was more of Roger Allen as Prothero in this film oh, because he's that stuff, so good. He's fantastic. I mean, he's always going to be fantastic. He's one of my favourite actors. Um, so, you know, I, I was actually, he was one of the things that I was pleased to go back to this film, like to see a, some Roger Allen performance. And it's only a shame he gets killed off so early in it. But that character, looking at that character in 2018. It was like fucking hell. This is like the entire right wing <laughs> media of the last five years mm-hmm. in a because, single character,
2: and everything he that he does like... and that he's there to do is is so apt. <laughs> he's because I feel like I've seen the 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 version of a Fox News Bill O'Reilly, uh, Tucker Carlson. You know what? Uh, mm. What's your other fella called? The worst one.
3: Uh, uh, uh no. Um. Um. Oh, what's his name? Uh, I can picture him. I can picture him.
2: The one, the one whose lawyer is also was also Trump's lawyer. God, we'll have to edit this out. (laughs) What's Um, his fucking name? Who are we talking about? Who? The Fox News Uh, guy. He's another gammon face, isn't he? Bill O'Reilly. No, the younger, the the younger one, but not young, not as Sean Hannity. That's the one. Right. Hannity. Keep it all in. Keep it all in. But like, um, but no, and, you know, yeah, and that and that uh, is it. Jean Pirro as well. The, the who, Janine Pirro, who who like gives these crazy, like wild-eyed rants straight to camera, uh, like she's talking to someone who sat next to you in your. Mm. Living room and getting irate about something that has happened in the news that day. Um, Rod Roger Allen's character here again, I think, because he feels like a step up from what he's a, Fox a, yeah, News is doing.
3: Just, he's a step up from that because he's more like Alex Jones, is what he's <laughs> like. Yes, he's, he's like, like Alex, Alex Jones crossed with Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs>
2: yeah, or or yeah. your kind of like right wing internet personalities yeah. as well who can just. Like smash out on Twitter, you know, a a tweet or a video or whatever, or you know, go and get post some stuff to his YouTube. I mean, Alex Jones is a, a fantastic parallel, and Alex Jones definitely didn't have the profile then that he that he had until very recently. Um, and yeah, I think Roger Allen is. Doing that, and I think it's all. It is also just more interesting that he's doing it in this very erudite British way. Um, I don't know. I like. I like that this is like a post-Tory government. It's a, it's a fascist version of the of the Tory party. It feels. It, in fact, it again. It feels like it has some parallels with modern Britain in that it feels like. What if the Tories did get taken over by a cross between Nigel Farage, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and Nick Griffin? Even, yes. you know, going back to going back to close over that these time. like
0: horrendous pe- people. <laughs> <laughs> I've but but say, that's, kind of, I, I that's found... kind of
2: what it feels like.
3: And this is okay. This is going to be one of the weirdest things that that anyone who knows me will ever hear from me, but. I actually didn't like the way it explicitly said that Sutler had initially been a conservative. No, politician.
2: yeah, I I I agree with that. And I, I, as I think... someone
3: who who hates the Tories, yeah. you know. That didn't feel right to me because that, that was bringing him from too moderate a background to become what he becomes. Yeah, and also, just because there was do. no other explicit current political connection. You know, this wasn't... Again, you know, the book is a satire on Thatcherism and is supposed to be, if Thatcherism goes even further, this is what it could be. But in 2005... To, if it doesn't sound weird to say that about again about the Conservative Party in the 2000s but that just seemed it was there to antagonise people and I don't yeah. think it was appropriate
2: but. There was a minor political scandal surrounding this movie in Britain at the time in that the movie got unprecedented access to um, shut down I think the streets around Whitehall mm-hmm. which which incl- which included uh, Downing Street um, I remember
0: them filming it because I was working in Central yeah. at the time yeah
2: and apparently, it was like three straight, three straight nights that the the roads around Whitehall were shut down for the production of this movie. And apparently, Tony Blair's eldest son had like a, had like an assistant role on this movie, or was doing some <laughs> kind of work experience. And Blair was criticised, uh, suggesting that he had like given this unprecedented access because his son was working on the movie. <laughs> and then, and then you've also got these anti-conservatives stuff in there as well <laughs> um i mean it does to be fair it does sound like something that alistair campbell would have cocked up
3: <laughs> on the other hand the uh the the person i'm just looking at it now and the person who uh complained the most loudly about it was david davis so yes <laughs> so,
0: <yeah. laughs> i mean he already did right
2: well yes <laughs> bye <laughs> for our american listeners david davis the uh, former Brexit secretary who prior to the Brexit vote informed everyone on Twitter that it would be a piece of cake to negotiate a new deal with the EU after we voted to leave and no one should worry about it whatsoever.
0: And then spent a year and a half failing to do exactly that.
2: <laughs> yes. Anyway, 2005 politics. <laughs> so, so there's there's, there's, a, there's a lot of Bushira stuff in there. Um, it, it kind of on one hand, does feel dated today, but on the other hand, feels more relevant than it did back then.
3: <laughs> well, this yeah, the, I, the Bush era stuff hasn't dated well. As I say, it's, what, what actually feels more apt now is the stuff that goes further than that, because mm. I don't think we thought in 2005, than in 13 years' time, um, the stuff, you know, the the setup of this film could actually feel closer to a possible reality mm. rather than further away from it. I
0: don't think but we like imagine it- that, like, in 2018 or to be fair it's died down a bit now but say maybe 2015 the the people this film is criticizing would be wearing the face of the protagonist
3: <laughs> well <laughs> i mean you say criticizing um...
0: it's not it's not explicit enough is it that's the problem it's vague yeah. enough that libertarians can go i really identify with this lone well, psychopath
3: okay so the, yeah so this is the real sort of cuz there's something about this film that is, that is actually looking at it now is I think it's biggest problem which is V himself and this film is written by the Wachowskis the Wachowskis wrote the Matrix ok they wrote the shit Matrix films as well but
2: <laughs> let's, let's oper- they're not shit, they're not, shit. <laughs> they're not as good but they're not shit
3: let's operate on the assumption that the Wachowskis are intelligent and have a reasonably good grasp on things right and certainly that the wachowskis are very very aware of the cultural aftermath of the matrix and and admittedly yeah this is 2005 this is you know not the the era of reddit and 4chan that we have now but a lot of this stuff was nascent and growing
2: let's say that Seb, they are, can i can i just check are you about to take the red pill or the blue pill
3: <laughs> the blue pill um <laughs> Right. Let's assume that they are aware of the kind of young man who, who was very inspired by The Matrix and was a very certain kind of person on the internet. Because what they've done in V for Vendetta is they've written him as the lead character and made him so pathetic and cringy and unlikable that I, by the end of the film, I, and I tweeted this, I found myself thinking that it was almost like a deliberate piece of observational humour by the Wachowskis <laughs> to have written V this way.
2: I mean, that's, that's not what happened, though, is it, Seb?
3: Well, no, but I, I almost prefer to believe that because the alternative is just that they didn't know what they were doing. Um, but the fact that V has then been appropriated by people who are... Just as bad as he is in this film, it's just like I mean the only thing he doesn't do in this film, I think, does he ever say the words "milady"? Actually, it feels like something he would say. It does um, definitely
0: feel like something he would say. It's just like you know, he's got the hat he, and everything.
3: Yeah, he is the. It was even you know Joe my wife, as in Joe my wife, not Joe Cunningham, um, <laughs> said after after the V speech that introduces him, that is supposed to be the big triumphant moment when the when your your hero character arrives, said. He's like some dickhead you'd meet in a nightclub.
0: <laughs> Which nightclubs did she go to? <laughs> I
2: so, I think in terms of the intentionality of V, and so this is the this is the point where, from browsing the Wikipedia article and reading <laughs> about the differences between V in the comic and in the movie, mm. um, it made me want to read the comic because I thought, well. It seems like the movie has committed to the fascist side of the fascists, but hasn't quite committed to the anarchist side. Because Mm. V, to me, they try and make him more likeable. They try and make him... They give him this tragic backstory. And you're you're right. You do cringe at a lot of stuff that V is saying. I think it helps that he's played by Hugo Weaving, who adds at least... (laughs)
0: He's mostly played by Hugo Weaving. (laughs) I I well, I voc- I, vocally.
2: I only
3: think there's one scene in which Hugo Weaving's good, and it's the one where he's playing Alan Moore with a Northern accent. <laughs> uh,
2: interesting. I, I, I found
3: his I found his his vocal performance in this film so badly mannered. Um, I, I like and, Hugo Weaving. I I did not like his performance in this.
2: But the but the point is, I think what they have what they have done, if they have chiseled away one of the interesting aspects of the book which is to say which which is what intrigued me and makes me want to read the graphic novel is that Alan Moore was kind of going well I've got this dystopia I'm putting fascism on one side and anarchism on the other and I'm not really coming down really on one side I'm just letting it play out and see and see how it goes I kind of want A little bit more balanced there. I don't want to, from the start of the movie, be very sure that V is, whilst irritating, definitely on the right side of things. Yeah. Or or like, obviously, the fascist side is not going to be the right side of things. But maybe that, maybe they're both bad.
0: I think the book is a lot more pro-anarchist than, like, the film could possibly have been in the current or even the political climate of two thousand and five. Like, well, yeah, it is and a that's the other thing. Cool you are to be an anarchist now than it was in the eighties,
2: and I, you can say anarchist, but also the lead of this movie is a terrorist. Yeah,
3: yeah. that's the thing. I, I think what's interesting about the book is the book and and Alan Moore at the time of writing the book, and and that itself is interesting because the time of writing the book is quite a long period of time, and and mm-hmm. he changed in the gap in the middle. The book and and Alan Moore are unashamedly pro-anarchy, but not unashamedly pro-V. Because V is a terrorist and a fanatic that's yeah. that's unquestionable mm. um but what he is also in the book is charismatic and engaging and you know the point is as I say he he's a fanatic and he is someone who Evie completely buys into, so when he kidnaps her and tortures her, which he you know he does he literally tortures her um and that you know, again, it's something that the film, having actually done the Valerie sequence really well, the Valerie sequence I love is fantastic. The Valerie sequence, do you sequence. know why the Valerie sequence is fantastic? Because is it's a it bit of the film that is almost <laughs> word for word. <laughs> it changes things, but it is basically they do it as it should be. It looks as it should be. They actually keep you know a reasonable chunk of the actual original dialogue and stuff as well. Not that that's the most important thing, but again, I said about this on Twitter about how the bit when he does his speech to. Uh, on on the TV, which is so good in the book, it, it, it is one of the, I think it's one of the best things Alan Moore's ever written is is V's address to the nation. And in this, you've got him saying something about I enjoy them as much as any bloke, and it's oh god, it's so bad. Uh, it, it does it doesn't even it's not even an analogy the way it is in the book. Oh god, it's just bad. But Anyways, Seb, Seb, go sorry. back sorry. to go the go good bit. The, <laughs> so it does the it does the Valerie bit, but it doesn't address the fact that that V has. Imprisoned and tortured Evie because Evie is not yeah. in his thrall at any point, and it's we. I suppose this gives us an opportunity to get onto it now, which is the moment of the film where I nearly walked out. So can I can I finally reveal this having teased <laughs> it on Twitter? <laughs>
2: um,
3: in a basket.
4: It's,
2: <laughs> no, it's the bit with the bishop. Um, when yeah, that always sits very uncomfortably to me, especially given Natalie Portman's i guess introduction to cinema yeah (laughs) well this is not yeah without getting too much into it but yeah it's there's it's kind of two parts to it irrespective of the
3: book it's weird that this is a character who evie has been given unequivocal evidence of the fact that he's a pedophile literally just by the fact that she's there you Mm -hmm. know um And she still is deferential to him, like by calling him your grace and stuff, and still sees him as on the good side and as her way out away from V. So that's that's kind of bad in itself. Well, hang on,
0: before we... Okay, before we move on from that... Yeah. Do you not read that as an explicit criticism of, like, the religious role in Bush's administration? Because this is kind of my point, is that this is a film about... A government from 2005 that was leaning heavily on its religious elements and saying like, yeah. oh, you know, he's a bad guy but he believes in God so let's let him bomb whatever he wants
3: Yeah, but, the, but, hey, what um, I mean, but what I mean is that at this point the hero of the story is siding with a paedophile instead of V I mean, yeah So that's that. that was the moment at which I was like I am not going to be able to buy into what this film is doing. Because there's never going to be a point because the in in the book, you know, that that scene happens and then V turns up and kills him. And, you know, you, you then you have a conversation between Evie and V about how she's uncomfortable with being involved in murder and never wants to be involved in him murdering people again and she won't be an accessory to that. And it's part of the the development of their relationship. But what is not in question from that point on is that uh she is buying into him and what he's doing so when he cuts her loose unexpectedly because she doesn't run away from him but instead he he abandons her and she goes off and has a life outside and then she gets captured and then you have the valerie thing and that's what turns her into the fully free valerie and yes the book questions whether that is actually a good thing for him to have done to her or not but the point is is that um she's lost that you know, that connection to him that she had and that that surety that she had when she was with him. None of that's there because it's just she's met him for about five minutes and been in his place for a little while and then at the first opportunity she escapes, even if that means siding with a paedophile. Yeah, and so none of the rest of the film was ever going to Well no, look, they made that decision. Whether that decision is a bad thing for the film itself. What I'm trying to explain is that is the moment at which I was just this is not V for Vendetta as far as I'm concerned. This, this does not have anything to do with the book that I wanted to see adapted into a film. It was always... It, at that point, it's just so fundamentally a different story this in terms is, like, of the relationship between Evie and V.
0: This is why I don't understand how you can place so much emphasis on that on that moment. Because the way I see it is like, well, she's been kidnapped and tortured. Of course she's going to be like, get me the fuck out of this place.
3: But it no, just—that's after, isn't it? Yeah, no. The yeah, the the, t- the torturing is after. <laughs> that's when she comes back. The Valerie thing. This yeah, is a, this is early right, on, fair. because the point is, is that early on, right? She and it, you know, again, I can see why they made the change to her character of making her more capable. I was going to say it, that's, this is, that's the
0: point I was going to make is that it <laughs> yeah. gives her more agency over herself, which is the issue in the vendetta where she's essentially standing by being lectured for the first two thirds of the book or whatever
3: (laughs) but it is also as i say it makes her a different character because she she pretty much has nothing in her life until she meets v and yes okay you you could take that as a criticism of the book but but it is what the book is and you know i think the thing is is that she doesn't need v in this film and it's it's
1: well yeah
2: but that's (laughs) that is that is this so i'm just gonna go i haven't read the book i haven't read the book i'm going straight to the film that is evident the entire way through the film is that she doesn't need V, and I, I don't, I don't like the execution of the pedophile scene. I don't like the way that they dress Natalie Portman up. It feels like something that would be more appropriate for like a later Wachowski's film, like something like Cloud Atlas. I mean, that, where they, <laughs> that they,
0: is fairly close to the comic. I will reveal that. To that's, you.
2: That's fine but i i I don't like the execution of that scene but I don't see I don't read that scene as Evie siding with a pedophile over v I see that as Evie going <laughs> I want out I want out of this situation that I rashly got myself into what is my fastest way out <laughs> and she and she tries to exploit it she she's not siding with.
3: Well, she could still priest. escape without warning a guy who kind of deserves to be murdered. That he's going to be. No,
0: but your command. Hang on. Hang on, hang on.
2: <laughs> yeah, you but don't please,
3: even believe he that. He deserves
0: set. to be murdered on this podcast. <laughs> I will not yeah. allow it
3: within 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 the moral framework of V. Um... <laughs>
0: okay, within V's moral framework, he he deserves to be murdered. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. Which to is the moral the, the framework Valerie that you buy bits. into it in much the same way as you don't read a Punisher comic and admonish him in your head for killing all the bad guys, do
0: you? <laughs> well, a little bit.
2: Um, yeah, to go back to the Valerie bit, I, I, t- I totally agree with what you're talking about afterwards. i just I talk you through my thought process when I'm watching that scene. I think the execution of the Valerie stuff's amazing. Uh, young Imogen Poots playing young Valerie as well, which was fun. Um I I really like all of that story. I think the parallels in that story, like I said, that the it's supposed to have concentration camp parallels, it's supposed to have Abu Ghraib parallels. And I think actually again you watch it in 2018 and it has got, you know, ICE agents separating children from their parents parallels, <laughs> you know, ripping parents away from their kids and and not giving a shit about it. And I I I like all of I like all the execution of that. I'd like I think Natalie Portman's performance is strongest mm-hmm. in in that <laughs> sequence as well. Um, and I really like the way that it not to plays that. its yeah. hand with the <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that it plays its hand with the audience where you have seen Valerie before but you don't realize it until quite late in that sequence that you've seen Valerie in the in the prison flashbacks. And when you see her face, that's the moment where you go, if you don't know the book, you go, oh, this isn't, Valerie isn't next door. She was in the prison with V, so V must be executing this. And you you get it two minutes before Evie gets it. What I will agree, Seb, is that when you then get to the confrontation between V and Evie, she's angry for a second... And yet, her her kind of her moment of kind of Zen realization doesn't doesn't ring as true to me because that those two characters they don't have enough of a relationship for me for her to for her to forgive him for that. I, I
3: think because just just actually to backtrack slightly on my own point, in the book she kind of gets over it quite quickly as well. But but you have just made a point that actually balances that, which is that in the book they have that pre-existing relationship so she's angry at him but comes to accept it because she is starting to turn into being like him and yeah in the in the film she's more her own person and and just doesn't have that relationship and the fact that that relationship then turns into him being like in love with her and crying about her leaving when they've barely spoken to each other um it just really
2: yeah
0: <laughs> that's, um, really undermines those, but those that's... moments are in my things this movie does wrong
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i could honestly by the sixth time i had seen enough of the emerging from the fire arms <laughs> held wide <laughs> i didn't i didn't need to see that anymore, and i didn't really understand like what i get that he obviously had some kind of Special genetic properties that had made him crucial to all the conspiracy stuff. Which I agree, Seb. I don't really care about all of that. It helps. It help. I. I think it for me helps make sense of like I said at the beginning the world building. I can understand how in that scenario a far right party gr- like could grasp at power, then solidify power. It rang trueish enough to me that I could buy it, but what I didn't really, I didn't really care about the conspiracy itself because I was like, yeah, bad government did bad things to get to yeah. power. I'm not surprised that they killed the people, and I didn't really understand like what what is V, like how, what is he Wolverine? What's going on?
3: <laughs> I mean, he's 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 the result of experimentation
2: so human, he's dead basically. he's deadpool, is he yeah.
4: deadpool?
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: he's a <laughs> deadpool yeah
0: the thing is he's just like he's just an idea like that's that's the point <laughs> of the character right doesn't matter who he is he's
2: he's well then 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 let's not do all of the backstory that's the bit <laughs> that i i just didn't i was more like i i'm interested in the people who are in that prison less so v and i guess that he has to be hunting down these people who were connected to it and killing them because that's the title of the movie. He's got a vendetta. Um, but do I care that Roger Allen was originally in that prison? No, I just care that, like, in V's worldview, that guy on TV spouting that stuff needs to die.
4: Mm.
2: because that's Because that's part of his mission. <laughs> I just... I just didn't find that side of stuff very interesting. And I think why I. I've probably talked more about what I don't like about the film so far. What I do like is kind of the other side of things, where I kind of like all of the Orwellian, Strangelove esque, like. It's
0: very 1984 in this movie, isn't
2: it? Just a bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I I like. I like John Hurt. On a big screen, towering over <laughs> Tim Tim Pigott-Smith and Eddie Marzan and Stephen Rear and um,
4: uh, Ben Miles. And,
2: Miles, and yeah, and, <laughs> I, and I, I, going, uh, every time I'm watching those scenes, I really like that stuff. And I like, um, I like what I, I think for me, my favourite performance in the movie, even though there is a little bit of dodgy accent that's going on, is Stephen Riera because I'm like. Yes, this is a British movie I'm watching. I don't know. I'm watching a British p- police procedure. Well, here. And and it's, it, the, and it's bloody Lestrade from the new Sherlock Lestrade, giving yeah. the the exact <laughs> Lestrade performance. Yeah.
3: Um I mean Finch is the is kind of really the heart of the book and they I, I don't think the film ever goes towards making him anywhere near as sort of a bit sympathetic to V as as he becomes in the book, but he <laughs> I
0: mean, um, does take a lot of LSD to get to that
3: point. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's no surprise that you cast Stephen Rear as that character who's actually got a bit of depth and interest to him. And while a lot of that's lacking in the film, you still come out with something really good. I mean, I'll tell you what I think is one of the strongest things. Actually, just so I can actually come back onto something positive, the the other big change that it makes, which I think is a really positive one. Uh, is Gordon um that character and the role that that character plays in the story is fantastic and doesn 't come from the book. There is a character called Gordon who evie meets when she 's back out in the world after meeting v but it 's very different character, very different scenario um again i 'm not going to say necessarily that it 's better than what happens in the book, but it fits the film really well, but it also sheds a light on the film's biggest problem again, which is v because v is not compelling or charismatic or or doesn't seem singular of purpose and idea. Gordon is a better V than V. So that yeah, bit where like of... he jokes about being V, it's like he is a much better hero. He is a much better inspirational jo- figure for for Evie. I think he has a bigger it. impact on Evie's life and yeah, on what yeah, she yeah. does.
2: Mm-hmm. And there's and there's a couple of moments before that where they've like mirrored little pieces of dialogue, and there and it's almost interesting how early they choose to go. Well, no, obviously not, but like you do for a second. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, that would be cool. And yeah, and I think Stephen Fry is perfect casting here. Um, you know, like he he's just. I don't know. He's the guy that I would cast based mm. on the character that is in that <laughs> yeah. is in this movie. Um, yeah, like you kiss him and you
0: like him. You yeah, know? I remember. Yeah. Like this was probably the first time I'd seen Stephen Fry doing like serious <laughs> acting, and I remember being sort of impressed on that level because you know um, I've seen him do broad comedy before, but never, and never I, something like this. Never a dramatic role.
2: And I like the stuff that they do. Uh, I I I don't like the benny hill sequence <laughs> I, I be honest i think
0: i'm more sympathetic to it than most british people would be because I... it's obviously in a, a thing of americans like lol benny hill was popular in america and so they think we all love it here as a mm. kid i actually did quite like it but you know as a
3: kid i don't mind them doing that because the point of what the scene is doing is good i think it goes on too long but it yeah um... that's
2: too long but and I John think, and John Hurt turn like, it like it—it's not look like it's just John Hurt in lots of makeup <laughs> twice. But this is—but this
3: is the other thing, right? So, so not only do I think that Gordon has a a more profound impact on Evie than V does, Gordon has a more profound impact on the population of the country than V does <laughs> yeah. because you don't get the sense that the population of the country are that inspired when V does his big speech on TV. Mm-hmm. But well, when they see Sutler being mocked. That is what starts to turn them, and that's what shows them. Like you, you mock these people, and that's how you destroy their power. That's a, a really important scene, and it's not the fucking supposed t- title hero of the story doing it.
2: And I like the stuff. I like the stuff when he actually gets captured, and just the little details. Like, yeah, they were they were gonna they were gonna you know they they bagged him. They were gonna take him off and put him in prison. But it was when they found the Quran that they killed him. Like it's just it's little details that, that like that that for me Um add a little add little bits of interesting nuance to the fascist regime. And it's and it is white it's it's full on white supremacy and again it doubles down on the parallels to the Bush era politics because <laughs> you know. There was, there was just a hint yeah there was just a hint of uh, a hint of racism in those policies it's gone now though um, right <laughs> yeah we're, we're totally nip free that in this, the bud <laughs>
4: um,
2: yeah so I I, I I like all that stuff so I like the execution of like it is, it is, his capture is brutal Again, that's the thing. I like Natalie Portman in moments, like I like her reaction hidden under the bed in that scene. Yeah, I think another she's...
3: moment when she's not speaking.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it it really, really is the accent because it, it's not. And also, I read her described as a working class girl, and I and, for a... and, and I was going, I was going, what? Well, how is she working? And I and I think back to the job that she ostensibly has at the movie at the start of the movie and go. Yeah, okay, I guess she is a working-class girl. She'd been orphaned from a young age. She hasn't got a lot of money. So where has she got that accent from? Because the accent that Radha. Natalie Portman is reaching for is cut-glass British. It is not working-class London girl. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even even if Natalie Portman had have got to the accent, it wouldn't have been the right accent for that character. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, it's it's a weird one, you guys. I I like there's there's stuff I like about it. There's stuff I don't like about it. Seb, I can't I I can't pretend to ever understand how I would get to the point that you're at, uh, or that you, or certainly that you were at the first time you watched it. Uh, but if anything, I'm I maybe just the most surprising thing to me from this entire conversation is that. I cut James. I'm kind of expecting you to be agreeing with all of Seb's points, but there's but there is there's, <laughs> this. There's is, something... This is what's always. I think this is what's
3: been at the nub of and why we've kind of played up the disagreement is that I've always been surprised that James doesn't feel the same way about this film, given James's views on <laughs> Alan Moore and Alan Moore adaptations. That's what gets me.
0: I, I mean the. I think the core thing here is that I don't feel like this movie was made as an attempt to exploit the, the genius of Alan Moore. Like, they went, well, we've got the licence to make this film. What do we want to say using this property and these ideas? Like, what's, what's yeah, our de- version it, of V for Vendetta?
2: It definitely has its own point of view.
0: Yeah, whereas Watchmen was Zack Snyder going like, oh, I love, I love Watchmen, I'm just going to copy it exactly as closely as possible, like, completely missing the substance of it. Like, I feel like this is a film that understood the substance of V for Vanessa, but then went, so what are we going to do with it? <laughs> Which is not something I got from Watchmen.
2: Seb, how would you compare this to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen?
3: Um, <laughs> I think, objectively... As a piece of filmmaking, you 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 would struggle to argue that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was more competent than <laughs> but you
0: this. really wish you could, don't you?
3: <laughs> but I um I certainly have far less uh ire towards the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But I think partly that's because League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. There is always the caveat of Alan Moore was playing with other people's toys there anyway. Um. Not saying that necessarily makes what they do with the film right, but you know, also, League of Restoring Gentlemen isn't really about anything the way that V for Vendetta is. Um, well, no, it is, but you know what I mean. It's,
4: it's a, it doesn't, it's, a lot it doesn't big, have, it's less specific. Yeah,
3: it doesn't have ideals at its core that can be uh, torn apart yeah, by a film basically that ignores like, them.
0: What if superheroes, but literary?
3: Yeah, and and I think as I say, I, I think I think the reason why you can't. Understand how I felt about this film when I first saw it is that we are looking at this from a perspective of it being quite a while ago, from a perspective of being older. And I, as I say, I was like 18 or 19, probably younger than that, so maybe 17 or 18 when I first read V for Vendetta. And that is exactly the right age as a lefty British person to be just completely in thrall to that book and what it's doing. And so when I saw the film, I was still in my early 20s with very strong memories of reading the book, and i the film was going to have to really capture what the book did in order to not disappoint me. And it was so far away from that that it didn't just disappoint me, it severely angered me. As I say, it doesn't anger me now. It exists. It's a thing. The world hasn't ended. Uh, I'm glad that some people enjoy it I mean, and get something me out me of time. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, but the world world won't end as a result of this film. Uh <laughs> Again, don't be yeah. so sure. <laughs> I just I just think it's as as you said Joe, if I didn't have that association with the book, I'd probably think it's fine. I do still think I'm I'm harsher than you towards a lot of the really stupid things that it does badly. And I and I do disagree with you about the world building. I think the world is badly built because I think those little details, a lot of them don't hang together. I'm never quite sure. If the party were elected... Well, they were elected, but I'm not sure if like they're still running things democratically or if it is just there no. on a screen with five people. But if they're not running things democratically, why is blowing up Parliament such a big deal? There's, there's, it comes back to things like that. It's just It just seems confused about where it is and, and what it's doing. I, I don't think it's built the world well enough to justify that faux British setting that you talk about. And something that really came across while I was watching it this time was... Boy, the Hunger Games really built its dystopian future world way better than V for Vendetta did.
4: Hmm.
2: I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't. I just don't feel like it's something we're going to be on the same page about. <laughs> I like. Did um. Does the the slogan "the strength through unity, unity through faith" come from the book? Yes. Or Is that? Yeah, because that that was no, that was another thing that I thought was really nice. Uh, and go kind of goes to James's point about uh, I uh, politicians using religion and faith as a mask. Well, you, for bi- for bigotry,
3: you actually get more stuff from the actually the perspective of he's called Adam Susan in the book. Um, you you get stuff from his perspective, and you get this little bit actually where he talks about what he believes. Like it's, it's a bit where he's narrating essentially. Um, And you're not invited to sympathize with it, but it's an explanation of what he believes and why he believes in it and why he believes in fascism. Um, You know, there's I mean, there's so much stuff in in the book that's not in the film, like the, the like fate, which is the computer that essentially controls everything. Um, and Prothero is the voice of fate and the idea is that people believe that, that fate is t- is doing the nightly broadcasts so when Prothero's gone it's not just that it's a PR thing of oh we don't have this broadcaster anymore it's oh shit people, people can't believe that fate is talking to them anymore um, the political conspiracy stuff rather than being something that happened in the past is you've got a whole subplot that's nowhere near the film of various people scrabbling over power so ignoring while what's going on with V is going on there are people trying to essentially stage a coup um, and there's some really good material in that. It's the kind of stuff you can totally understand why this film doesn't touch it because um, it's it, it's too much to pack into a film. But equally, Joe, when you were saying before that you felt that it was kind of like a short story, I think that's partly because the story's being cut out. Mm.
2: It's funny though, in in spite of that, it feels like... I think that's why I like the Valerie section so much, is because it takes a breath to go. What would it feel like to be a part of this world? Mm. Because a lot of the rest of the time, it feels like it feels like plot machinations to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, and and I think that's why. I think that's probably why as well. I prefer the. I prefer the scenes where you're following. Stephen Rear and you're following the, the 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 fascist regime and all and all of the different characters in it because mm. they are reacting in ways to the plot happening around them. This is why I think you're really going to enjoy the book because <laughs> this is what the book does. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: it's so hard to compare the book in the film it is. directly it's, you know, because it's like, hide into nothing. The yeah. the book is so like e- the thing is it was because it was made in the 80s it's so much denser than than comics are now like mm. it was and it, it was cut up into very what were they like 12 page chunks or something
3: shorter than that even so yeah i mean i think again i think it's worth it something i did want to do is talk about that that publishing history of it because it was it so it was originally serialized in warrior the uk comic in the early 80s and it was yeah it was chapters of like like 4 to 6 or maybe maybe eight pages um in black yeah, and eight, white eight
0: pages i've just checked my copy
3: yeah and it got about two, just under two thirds of the way through the story, uh, when Warrior was cancelled. So this was by the kind of this was maybe in about '84 or so, because I think it started in '82. Um, it got Warrior got cancelled, and then in the wake of Alan Moore, you know, becoming superstar Alan Moore, DC picked it up, coloured it, reprinted all the stuff that had been published in Vertigo up to that point, collected into American length single issues got up to the point where more had finished and actually the warrior stuff ends on a huge cliffhanger because it ends on the scene of uh, uh evie returning to um uh what's this place called is it the shadow gallery or have i pulled that from somewhere yeah, else no, yeah, the the shadow shadow, gallery. yeah shadow gallery yeah. where he lives uh and discovering that it was him who had imprisoned yeah. her uh and it's like that 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 reveal yeah, of him standing there the saying the welcome home act. yeah that's that's where the, the original run ended and then so it came back they printed a couple of, of bits that that would have been in issues of Warrior that didn't get published and then they started on new material and, and Moore and Lloyd finished the story and it's interesting that there is a bit of a leap in style and approach uh, for the, the, the closing act like the third book I think it becomes a bit harsher actually uh, I, think, I think Moore is actually kind of more cynical uh, towards the end but yeah, so that's, I mean, that's that's just, you know, uh, wider context. But I, I do think it's mildly interesting.
2: Uh, one uh, element of the film I wanted to talk about before we finish, because, again, 16-year-old Joe walks away from this movie going, it was cool. Ah, oh, it was cool. I liked it. <laughs> and the reason that I thought it was cool and I liked it was I remember liking the action, which <laughs> there really isn't much of it. And it isn't really very good, is it? Like it's kind of like, like proto Pr-
0: Snyder, right? It's like let's do oh. some slow motion, flashy stuff.
2: So I remember walking out of this and being like, "I love the Matrix. and In the Matrix, they introduced bullet time, which go back to the Matrix, still good." <laughs> um, you and I and I remember walking out of this and going, and now the Wachowskis—they've got like dagger time, where the <laughs> daggers move in slow motion, and it's really cool. And it's not really cool. It's really boring. Um, and V, because most of the action is V, like, doing martial arts in that ridiculous costume, and in that ridiculous mask, and like you say, the mask watching now has more negative connotations in your head than positive, I think, mm. and I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I found all of the action a little bit flat this time.
0: I mean, I think... It's quite stylish visually, the film in general. Hmm. I think that's definitely a point in its favour is you, you don't look at this film and go like, oh, you know, they weren't really designing this one.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that is another another tick <laughs> I'll put in the column is the production design is good. Except I think they fail to make V not look silly. I think they get the hair wrong and I think they get yeah. his outfit wrong. I think there's a way you can make that outfit look cooler than it is but they don't manage it, I would agree with that,
0: I think the mask is good though, right?
3: The mask is good, the mask is spot on, but the rest of it around it it makes make i think the rest of his costume makes the mask look worse,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, and like on the production side design, I kinda like that both v and the the fascist regime are both like red and black stylized mm-hmm. but like when v when v makes his very on-the-nose dominoes tumbling to create his logo. <laughs> I just imagine him sat in for days putting that together and that he just tips it over for himself to watch. Right
0: back to our first podcast where Daredevil carefully and deliberately <laughs> pours the DD logo yeah. on the floor so the thingy can set it on fire before leaving the scene.
2: And Punisher creates the skull logo with fire as well, yeah, doesn't he? does he? it
0: with cars, doesn't he?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um... You know, Very branding.
3: branding is important to these characters. So <laughs> I think it's good that they take the time to get it right.
2: But it's worse here because like V the only one who will ever see that, <laughs> and certainly the only yeah, one who will ever of... see them tumble.
0: He's got a lot of time in his hands. Yeah. Can I can I just talk about a, a minor change from the book that does infuriate me? Since Seb did a few of those,
3: <laughs> since I've done loads, yeah.
0: So in the in the film, they show him in his like, you know, underground layer in the shadow gallery. They never tell you where it is. And throughout the comic, there's like a it's a big thing of like, you know, he's all over the place. How's he getting everywhere? Like they can't track yeah. him. And then towards the end of the book, Seb, do you remember where he where the shadow gallery yeah. is? Yeah. yeah. They make they do a reveal and I love it so much that I almost can't <laughs> spoil it knowing that Joe hasn't read it.
3: Yeah, let's let's not spoil it yeah. actually because it but is But they really show good. you yeah.
0: the exact location of the shadow gallery and you go of course <laughs> fucking brilliant and it's such a simple thing to have put in the film and they just dropped it completely. It's like yeah, literally the- a 2 second shot would have done it.
3: If they had put it in the film they would have had to have had any basic understanding of <laughs> London geography, and they they change the tube train to be blowing up the Houses of Parliament rather than Downing Street without any consideration of whether there might actually be a train track underneath it. Or if not. James Bond so. can
0: do it, Viva Vendetta can do
3: it. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, yeah, the tube lines around Westminster are, are a lost cause when it comes to Hollywood, aren't they?
2: <laughs> we do yeah. not need to get into that it's again. Almost we almost like- lost. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of our listenership last time we it's, got into that.
0: I'm just going to say, it's almost like someone thought, oh, maybe let's not dig a tunnel under the seat of government.
2: <laughs> um, right, okay, guys, what comics are you recommending based on Viva Vendetta? I think I can guess one of them.
3: <laughs> Viva <for> Vendetta. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think I think we've pretty comprehensively covered why uh, yeah. we recommend is, is, reading it. It's
2: is there is there another one or is that big? Is that comprehensive enough for this week?
3: That I mean, I I was wondering if there, there are... was anything else in terms of the themes and what it's about that might. Uh, I guess maybe you, would you say Transmetropolitan?
0: I mean, the only other thing I would recommend as a companion to this film is Miracle Men just more she's a <laughs> miracle man just because like
3: it's 1980s alan moore
0: yeah 1980s <laughs> alan moore set in london you know about um, a character who becomes increasingly political as the story advances like i think mm. i think I mean, if I you think... want to get more about alan moore's worldview in the 80s and certainly his <laughs> views on politics and government you cannot do better than reading v vendetta and miracle man back to back
3: I mean, I can't remember how much we talked about 1980s Alan Moore when we did Watchmen, but I think, you know, having having had a conversation about 90s image on the Spawn episode, like, you know, th- this is our point to talk about 80s Alan Moore. And it's funny because before the podcast started, Joe, you told us that you'd picked up a copy of, uh, well, a collection called Superman, Man of Tomorrow, that collects basically Alan Moore's 80s Superman work. It's got whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, for the man who has everything, and a bit of his Swamp Thing, Um but yeah, I mean, like aside from the superhero stuff he was doing at DC, the big three are Miracleman, V for Vendetta and Watchmen. Um, I think Miracleman and V are closer to each other because they both have that thing of having been serialised in Warrior mm-hmm. and then picked up after Warrior uh, was cancelled, picked up by an American publisher. Um, I mean, I, I think... I'm not going to say V is better than Watchmen. I think there was a period of time where I would have said that. I do think V I would recommend V to a non comics reader ahead of Watchmen. Because I, I, I still yeah. I know people do, but it still surprises me that people who don't really have much of an interest and grounded in comics pick up Watchmen and read it and like it. Because for me it just feels so rooted in comics and superheroes. V yeah, is not that. Like, v is just like
0: <laughs> The reason I think if you're gonna argue that V is better than Watchmen, and certainly as a story, I think Watchmen's a better formal exercise. But yeah as a story v is more complete because its thesis isn't like hey aren't superheroes crazy or like you know mm. what if superheroes are real like this is a political book about about actual ideas not and actually not so- a sort of genre like i don't want to say defying what i'm looking for genre <laughs> yeah. cannibalizing
3: look
4: mm. at,
0: at superheroes
3: and actually, the th- I think I do want to say about V the Comic because this struck me because I, I came, you know, read it again for the podcast, having actually not read it for, for quite a few years. And I don't know if it was that I, I went off it or I don't think I, I went off it in a sense, but, you know, the movie and the whole Guy Fawkes mask thing. And, and as I say, I think I think growing out of your 20s, it, it is a book t- more to read in, in your 20s or late teens. But what
2: really oh, struck me. That's fantastic because I am still in my 20s, yes, guys. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh...
0: Sure, rub that in. Uh, but no I what, what, what
2: yes yeah. we've got one more year
3: <laughs> yeah so read it quickly uh, i mean it's quite long it does take quite a while to read but no what really struck me this time was how much all uh, ignoring all the i don't want people to think that because we've gone on about all the political stuff and all the stuff that it's about that it is just about being this kind of weighty political thing it's actually a really rollicking read if i can use that phrase it surprised me going back this time having not read it for a while and forgotten a lot of the finer details of the story just how much i enjoyed the story it is reading like, it this time
0: it is a kind of page turner in that regard because yeah, there definitely. are so many mysteries and they're all like really cool and you're just going like oh, i want to know i want to know and that yeah. would drive you through the whole book is just thinking like how how and why
3: yeah so yeah, I mean, and I think it is a good recommendation to stand on its own for this pod because it's really long. Um, well, not really long, but you know, it's it's quite long. Um, but no, I, I agree with James. I think Miracle Man is is worth looking at. I, I think it's. I think. I think as an exercise, you know, that that block of eighties Alan Moore work um, is worth reading and worth reading chronologically as well if only to kind because of, see of his the, evolution.
0: If only because of the effect it had on comics that came afterwards. Yeah, I always, I always liked. Um, Alan Moore's description of the 90s comics industry as being largely based on a bad mood he was in, in 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you can look at all of Vertigo's output and go like, yeah, Alan Moore was a bit, feeling a bit down. And so yeah. they based an entire sort of genre of comics on this. This
2: <laughs> Does Alan theme. Moore have good moods?
0: Yes. I mean, if you ever see him in person, he is the most <laughs> yeah. upbeat, like, charming, hilarious guy you will ever share a room with.
2: He, yeah, he's, and, he's a wizard, I guess.
3: I mean, did we have people not watched the most recent Stuart Lee TV <laughs> thing where it's Alan Moore doing the Q and A with him, and he's fucking hilarious. Like, oh, he really? is. Alan Moore is really funny, yeah, and yeah as James is. says like any time you see him in person, he's warm and and nice and not grumpy. I'm sure he can be grumpy to people in person because well, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence about it, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's easy to forget sometimes that he's fundamentally actually a, a, a sharp and funny person.
0: Yeah, um, I mean I would recommend to anyone to go and if you ever get a chance to see Alan Moore live, take it. Because he mm. like he is as good a stand up as you will ever see.
2: <laughs> right. Well, on that recommendation, uh, we'll move on to our final section, which is the pitch. Uh we've obviously got last week's pitch to catch up on a mini as well, so we'll pop that in with this one. Um This week's pitch is which Alan Moore property should they adapt next? <laughs> What's left? Jesus. <laughs> you can pick one to do again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just trolling you at this point, James.
0: <laughs> I no the thing is, right, I don't mind v Vendetta being adapted. <laughs> because he signed that contract willingly. Like, my objection to Watchmen's, like, whole situation is that he he was promised, oh, if you sign this, when it goes out of print, you can have your work back. And what they did was just leave it in print indefinitely.
3: Uh, that's what happened to V as well. V, v is the same situation as Watchmen. It, it would be owned by Moore and Lloyd if DC hadn't kept it in print.
0: I mean, there is certainly... He has never complained about v vendetta being taken from him in the way watchman was and whether maybe he's just not been asked in which case fair enough
3: i mean you know it was the, the the v movie was kind of what caused him to cut
2: off no i thought this was the first one that he said stop putting my name on this yeah. because he was annoyed with oh the ones yeah before definitely yeah yeah
0: yeah like i think
3: he took his name off it and then he got really upset because they said that he'd endorsed it when he has somebody i think said in an interview it was joel silver yeah joel silver yeah no
0: no joel silver was the name i had as well who like said oh yeah we've spoken to alan and he's fine with it and he went no 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 what i said was (laughs) take my name off it i don't want to be involved yeah which is not the same as fine with it
2: Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Okay, so that is it for this week's podcast. Um, If you're enjoying the show... Then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com/slash forward slash Cinematic Universe. Um, by the time you listen to this, maybe we um, during our Spawn podcast in the gap between the kind of the first section and the second section when you guys are listening to a trailer, we got involved in like a quite long or a, a mediumish length discussion of the latest Mission, mission Impossible. <laughs> movie and the franchise at large and we just thought it was entertaining enough that we could pop, we could probably pop it up on patreon so patreon listeners, i mean you can every hear, you can
0: every conversation we have is gold
2: absolutely sometimes we just delete our nonsense off mic which and sometimes we leave our nonsense on mic for the main episode uh, but this time uh, Patreon listeners you get to hear I think me particularly banging onto Seb about why he should watch the Mission Impossible movies <laughs> and having a little lo- a little bit of a disagreement with James about the most recent one <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, look out for that uh, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com you can get in touch via Facebook on Twitter at cine underscore verse Or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. I am off to hop on a plane to Chicago. I will be back for next week. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. know who i am i'm the juggernaut bitch cinematic universe returns in two weeks time with x-men the last stand
1: even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus